You may be seated. Well, we're returning once again to our series in Genesis chapter number one, and we'll work our way through chapter number 11 throughout the next 15 or 16 weeks. And this morning, we'll be in Genesis 1, verse 26 through 30. I'm not really a craftsman. If you ask my wife, you'll find out pretty quickly that she would agree. But even though I'm not a craftsman, I've made some things I'm proud of, all right? First of all being, Michael Morales pointed this out, there's now a ramp leading to our new shed that was built by the non-skilled craftsman, yours truly. I'm proud of that thing. It, don't, don't go inspect it after service because you realize how bad of a craftsman I am. Uh, recently, my wife and I, well, really not my wife, my father-in-law and I have been working on our basement in our house. And um, it's a 800 square foot project. I've never framed a second in my life before this project. Never installed a drop ceiling. We put a drop ceiling down there. Uh, I hired out the sheetrock because I knew it would look really, really bad if I tried that. Uh, did some painting. And I'll tell you what, there's some pride, isn't there, of completing a project. Some of you men, your wife want to nudge you right now, hoping that you'll complete the project that's been on your list for two years. I felt pride uh, making. Uh, some of you know I moonlight occasionally as a videographer. I've made a couple videos I'm proud of, and not in a sinful way, um, but I've been asked uh, a couple years ago to make a documentary about the last 10 years of economic growth in our city. That was, a, that was an honor and a project I'm really proud of. I got to make a video recently for the city of Sublette when they, they celebrated 100 years of history. Um, I know we don't think of that when we think of craftsmanship, but it's kind of a, a thing that I'm proud of. I look at it and say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of how that turned out. But of all the things in life I've made, the proudest, uh, the one I'm proudest of is the thing I deserve the least credit for. And that's our three children. This is where you say, aw, yeah. I don't know if you can see them that well. Noelle was really, really tiny there. She's, she's a little bit bigger now, if you've seen her. She's chunked up. You, you could see my lack of carpentry skills when you look at that ramp outside or if you were to get behind some of the walls in our basement or if you were to look at the drop ceiling my father-in-law and I installed and literally learned off of YouTube how to do. You'll see a particular impression of my craftsmanship. In those cases, you'll see the lack of craftsmanship. But there's really nothing that shows an imprint of who I am more than those three girls. And the years to come will only show it even more. They look like me. So when you say that they're cute, you know what I mean? You're saying, hey, your dad's not all too ugly, right? They look like me. They act like me. I'll let you decide which one acts like me as you watch them grow. I feel bad for the ones that do but they're going to carry something that gives the impression of who I am more than anything else in the world. If you want to look at the imprint of Mike Collins and Shelby Collins, of course, the best way to see that is looking at our children. 
There's no creation in this world I'm more proud of than our three kids. And I know even if you don't have children, you understand that. Did you know that that's the same way God feels about his children? We talked last week about how all of creation declares God's glory and his power. But in our few verses we'll read this morning, we're going to see that there's something uniquely special about God's relationship to his children, mankind. And we saw last week how creation has a pattern that it, it had, right? We kind of highlighted the patterns and God said and how God forms and he fills. He brings darkness and chaos to light and life. We saw those themes and those patterns, but what's interesting about verses 26 through 30, on the sixth day of creation, God breaks a lot of the patterns and even more so next week. For one, God describes the sixth day of creation in double the amount of words than he gives to the rest of the days. In the other days of creation, God says, let there be, right? But when God makes man, he doesn't say that. He doesn't talk to creation, he talks to himself. Let us make man. And in short order, God makes it very clear in our verses this morning that this final creation of his, mankind, is in charge of all the rest of the things that he's created. God uses the sea to bring out the fish. He uses the sky to produce the birds. He uses the ground to produce living creatures. But in this account, God doesn't do that. In fact, in chapter number two, it says that God formed man with his own hands from the dust of the ground. As we read the account today, I want us to answer one primary question. What is God's design for mankind? You realize that this question about our purpose on this earth is a question that some who don't know God spend their whole life trying to figure out. I've said this before, but Elon Musk is quoted as his entire reason for having a multi-billion dollar company exploring space is so that he can discover the purpose of mankind. Well, luckily for us, it's right here in Genesis chapter number one. You don't have to spend billions of dollars exploring space to figure out what your purpose is. It's right here. What is God, how, what is God designed for your life? What is the type of imprint God wants to leave in you? You leave an imprint on your children. What imprint does God want you to have of him? We see this in our text this morning. Let's read it together in Genesis 1, verse 26 through 30. This is the sixth day of creation, the second half. It says in verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you, it shall be for meat and to every beast of the earth and every fowl of the air and everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat and it was so. And of course, verse 31 ends. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. What is God's design for mankind. I want to give you the main idea of this passage in one sentence right up front. You might write it down. God made mankind as his sons to rule creation and fill it with his glory. That is your purpose. And we'll explore that better this morning, that God made mankind as his sons to rule creation and to fill it with his glory. Really, this idea in the passage, I think, gives us three, three elements of God's design for mankind. I want to break this down to three sections. I think that you read the text and you see the idea that as God's final creation, the text is very clear that we are God's sons meant to live in the likeness of the Father. Now, ladies, don't let the masculine noun fool you there. Okay, that doesn't mean that you're not meant to live in the likeness of the Father. We see very clearly in verse 27 that God made both man and woman in his image. But the idea in the text there is that God made mankind as his sons, as his children. Look at verse 26. You'll see that term likeness. Now look in chapter number five, verses one through three, we see this term pop up again and we get a better idea of what it means for God to make you in his likeness. It's this visual appearance, really, is how the word is defined. But look at chapter number five, verses one through three. We get a parallel idea of what this likeness is. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God, he made he him. Now listen to the next two verses. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own what? likeness after his image and called his name Seth. The idea there is that how do we understand what it means to be in God's likeness? Well, we look at the relationship Adam would have had to Seth, his son, which is like my kids, his son would have looked like him. His son was meant to inherit the good traits from his father. He was supposed to look like his father and act like his father, hopefully in all of the right Ways and God has made you, child of God, as his son or as his daughter in the same way that your kids should reflect the goodness of your fatherhood or motherhood. You were created by God to reflect him. As God's child, you, people should look at you and see a faint resemblance of him. 
Some people think that this means that God created man in three parts and he's in three parts. I think that's true. But the main idea there is that God's intent, God's design was when people would look at Adam and would look at the rest of the creation, they would get an idea of who God is by the character, by the holiness, by the life of his children. They were supposed to reflect his good name and his good character. That's your job this morning, by the way. You are meant to be a picture of who God is. That's a big purpose, isn't it? We are called to be God's sons who reflect God's likeness. Number two, we're rulers who rule God's creation under God's authority. You notice that in the verses we read, the main idea, the main thread is mankind's dominion, mankind's authority over the rest of the creation. That's why this happens at the end. That's why God created man last, because he wanted to make a statement about mankind's authority. I've made all of this for you to be received with thanksgiving. And this idea of authority is also expressed in verse 26 when it says God made man in his image, in his image. Now, to someone who's originally reading this, when Moses first wrote it, they would have immediately picked up on this concept. You and I, when we think image, we think picture. But in in Near Eastern cultures, ancient Near Eastern cultures, there was this very uh, widespread idea that the kings were the image of their God. Now, what's interesting about this In Egypt and other places, you never said an average Joe was the image of God. But Pharaoh, the king, was the image of God, meaning that, you know this enough about ancient cultures, there was a a blurred line between the gods and the kings. They thought the kings were gods and the the gods were kings. And so this idea of God saying, I'm going to make all of mankind in my image, here's what he's saying. All of my, my human creation are rulers over the rest of my creation. Not just Pharaoh, not just the king, all of you are my vice regents. You're my co-rulers, and you rule under my heavenly authority. And look, verse 26, he picks up this idea, right? After saying man is made in God's image, he says, let them have dominion. Well, I don't know what you think about when you hear the word dominion. It's rulership, it's authority. And they're supposed to have authority over fishes and birds and livestock and every creeping thing. And then verse 28, God tells Adam to subdue his creation. You realize that's a conquest word? That word shows up in Hebrew later on when they conquer, they subdue the land. God's design for mankind was to exhibit his authority over all of his creation. And then you remember verse 29 and 30, right? Where God gives Adam almost like an ecology lesson. He says, Adam, here's the ecosystem I've created. You guys eat the plants and the animals eat some plants too. Notice that God didn't tell them to eat meat. Now, if you read later after Noah gets off the ark, God says you can eat meat. I think we see that our need for meat maybe is a result of the fall. And that's not a vegan statement. That's just what's in the text, okay? But uh, I think Paul and all of them recognize that all of God's created creation is to be received with thanksgiving unto God. So if you cook out a burger this, this Tuesday for 4th of July, praise God for it. He's given you that burger. You are subduing his creation. Somebody say amen to that. Subdue it, men, ladies. 
Cook it up. But the whole point of verses 29 through 30 is not to make a statement about diets. I think what God's doing there, other than saying, Adam, I've given all of this to you. I'm a, I'm a generous God, a generous father. You know why he's telling Adam that? Because if Adam is supposed to rule in God's place, listen very carefully. If Adam's supposed to rule in God's place, he needs to know how God wants things run. So God's given him a breakdown, verses 29 through 30. This is how it's supposed to work. You eat these plants, the animals eat these plants. And, and he's saying, Adam, I want you to make sure you maintain this. You have dominion. You make sure that none of these animals are getting out of line and eating stuff they're not supposed to eat. And you don't be getting out of line and eat stuff you're not supposed to eat. You catching the hint? You're supposed to rule over it. And you don't get to make up the rules. You live under my rules because I'm the real king. You're my co-regent. You're my co-king, Okay. So here's what what I think Genesis is telling us, chapter number one, is that our job, our blueprint, the, the design God has for mankind is we are supposed to represent not just his likeness, not just his character, we're supposed to represent God's authority, God's rules, God's boundaries. If you have a position of leadership, whether it's over your home or in the church, Uh, Can I just exhort you to lead the way God would lead? That's your job. You're a ruler. You're supposed to rule God's creation under God's authority. But then we see this idea of being fruitful, don't we? I think that's the third idea that's in the text, that we are supposed to be fruit bearers who fill the earth with God's glory. Now, in our church, as New Testament believers, we talk a lot about the Great Commission, don't we? But I want you to think of verse number 28 as the original commission, the first commission, if you will. And here's what the first commission was. Look at verse 28. He tells them, God blessed them, meaning God gave them the ability to do this. God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So this is the same instructions God gives animals um, in verse number 22 of chapter one. And I want you to understand what what God's purpose is here. God had created this, this vast world and even universe. And we'll see in chapter number two, he planted a garden. Where mankind was located was in one small specific place. And God never intended for his his image bearers to hang out and group up and never spread out. God's plan was for them to multiply. And that of course involves reproduction of the man and the woman. But his plan was for them to spread out and fill the earth. Why? Because he wanted all of the earth to see his likeness. He wanted all of his created world, not just one zip code. He wanted every zip code to be ruled by his creation, mankind. He made a large playground and he wanted mankind to fill it all with his rulership. And that's why verse number 27 is really important. I think even in our culture today, it's a very, very clear statement about gender identity and sexuality. God made man, male and female. Hey, by the way, you don't get to take, hijack God's blueprint, scribble some stuff out and remake it, right? He made man male and female. That's it. There's just two. Why did he make them male and female? Well, because you need a male and a female 
to be fruitful and multiply. This isn't going over anyone's head, is it, right? God made male and female. That's why it's so important because when we, when we try to hijack that, whether it's through uh, this, this perversion of gender ideology that's out there or whether it's through sexual perversion, homosexuality and stuff, the reason that that's so um, offensive to God and the reason God cares about that is that is going against your design purpose by God. Now we understand there are couples who cannot reproduce physically. Now I want you to understand this. That's a result of the fall. We live in an imperfect world where there is um, physical things that don't work as they're supposed to. God is saying these words to a perfect creation. Okay, so that's not a, a proper argument to say, well, you know, these people can't have kids, so that's why it's okay for me to go have a relationship that's outside of God's design. No, 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 no. God made it to function, and we'll see how it all breaks down here in chapter number three. But the whole point of, of these verses is that as God's people, we are not only supposed to reflect God's glory privately, but publicly. I'm gonna say that again. We're not only supposed to reflect God's glory privately, but publicly. It's not just about you and God. It's about filling the earth with God's glory. And I just wanna say this to the few parents that are in the room. There is a high calling upon you to reproduce children, not just that bear your likeness and bear my likeness, but that bear God's likeness. The most important discipleship ministry of our church is your discipleship in your home. Not even children's church, not nursery, your home. That's where discipleship starts. Why? Because we are called to fill the earth with God's glory. I have no greater blessing than to hear that my children walk in truth is what John said. So that's God's blueprint for mankind. Let's review. He made them as sons to live in the likeness of the Father. He made them as rulers who would rule God's creation under his authority. And he made them as fruit bearers that would fill the earth with God's glory. So God gives Adam this blueprint. And the rest of the story goes that Adam, for the rest of his days, lived in the likeness of his Father, filled the earth with God's glory, and ruled it exactly how God wanted him to. Right? No, no, no. In fact, the whole story of the Bible shows us, and really the first 11 chapters of Genesis show us, mankind has failed to live in the image of God. Listen, if the message you take away from this message is, I'm gonna go out and just exert myself to live in God's image, you'll fail exactly like these people in the book of Genesis fail. So, so God tells Adam, I want you to live as my obedient son who reflects my character. How long did that last? About five minutes. Chapter number two, God gives Adam one rule in verse number 17, I think. He says, don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I want you to reflect my character my innocence from evil, my separation from evil. I want you to live under my autonomy because I'm the father and you're the son. And Adam goes out and says, no, I'm in charge. I get to do what I want. You say no, I say yes. Did Adam live as a good ruler of God's creation? Interestingly, I think a lot of us focus on chapter two, verse 17, the, the instruction about the trees but the most prominent thread in chapters one and two is Adam's job 
to be a good ruler of God's creation. It was his job to keep everything in line. Animals, you need to do your job. Plants, you need to be, he's a gardener. Chapter number two talks about he's a gardener. He's taking care of the plants. He's supposed to make sure that the world is functioning and no bad stuff's supposed to get in this garden. But then in chapter number three, a serpent shows up. And if you read the Bible carefully, you recognize that later apostles, when they read the Old Testament, they didn't see Eve as the one who made the mistake, even though she was the one who took the fruit. Adam messed up. It was Adam's job to keep that serpent out. And what's interesting about chapter number three is here's a serpent talking, that's strange, and he's trash-talking God to this man's wife, and Adam is completely silent. Good ruler or bad ruler? Bad, bad ruler. God calls mankind to be fruitful and fill the earth with his glory. Look at Genesis chapter number six. Not only did mankind not do that, they did the complete opposite. We get to the Noah account in chapter number six, and it, uh, it's this dark shadow of these words in chapter number one, and it says in chapter six, verse number one, and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them. Look at verse number three. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his day shall be 120 years and I'm reading the wrong verse. I think it's verse number 11. And the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with his glory. No, the earth was filled with violence. Mankind messed it up. You recognize it was not just Adam who failed to live in God's image, but you and I do as well. All of us have failed to obey God's blueprint. Listen, it's easy for Christians to cry out against people messing with God's blueprint of gender and sexuality, but, but hear me well, church, this morning. We've all failed. We've all tore up God's blueprint a time or two, haven't we? There have been many times where you and I did not reflect his character. Maybe last night, when you flew off the handle, you weren't a good ruler, you are a bad ruler. Many times we've mistreated God's creation. That's why actually the law is so focused on animal rights to some degree and also man's uh, authority to have dominion over animals because God recognizes that animals are for man, but that doesn't mean man can treat them badly. Fathers have their children and their children are supposed to obey them, but they don't get to treat them badly. We've all failed. But here's the good news this morning where mankind has failed to live in God's image, Jesus Christ has succeeded to perfectly reflect the image of God. Oh, the book of Hebrews opens up with this powerful statement about Jesus living in the image of God. It says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, Notice how this is so similar to Genesis 1. Whom he hath appointed heir of all things, that's a ruler, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things he's ruling by the word of his power, when he by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, 
Is there another verse? There's not. Well, here's what that says. Jesus Christ was the image of God that you and I were supposed to be. The whole story of the Bible. You want to know what Kings and Chronicles and Samuel's about? It's about God raising up a ruler who's supposed to rule under his authority and every single one of them fail. David shows up and Israel's like, yes, this is it. This is it. And then he blows it. But all of that was pointing forward to the one who would rule in God's stead, who would express his image, who would be the perfect son, who would be the one that would reproduce and bear fruit throughout all the earth for God's glory. Because wasn't it Jesus that at the end of his earthly ministry, as he's ascending up to heaven, isn't that exactly what he told his disciples, be fruitful and multiply? He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature, baptizing them, why? To bring glory to the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, to live in the likeness of all the things whatsoever I have commanded you. It is Jesus who lived in the image of God. And friend, only Jesus can restore you back into God's image. Have you find, found yourself messing up God's image? Friend, you have hope in Jesus Christ. You need Jesus to obey Genesis 1. You can't do it in your own power. It is Jesus who transforms us to live in God's image. If that's the case, and there's really two commands for us as Christians this morning. Number one, believe in Christ and be restored into God's image. Believe in Christ and be restored into God's image. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 4 if it's not on the screen. And I want you to see, oh, it's on the screen. Praise God. I remembered some slides. Y'all are seeing, I, I'm, I'm not reflecting the image of God. I'm not perfect. But I want you to see 2 Corinthians 4 and see that it's only through believing in Jesus you can live in the image of God. Paul writes, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You know what Paul's saying there? It is through the light of the gospel entering your heart and my heart that Jesus brings the image of God back into our lives. Without Jesus, you will never live up to God's blueprint and his design. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you haven't believed in Jesus you will never live up to God's desire for your life. But if you're here this morning and you look at your life and you think, man, do I not look like God? Well, hey, first of all, join the club. But I can, can I just give you some encouraging news? We'll talk about you're supposed to follow Jesus and live in God's image that way. But your standing with God has nothing to do with what you do. It has everything to do with Jesus' righteousness placed on you. You want God to receive you as his son? It's all about Jesus and whether or not his righteousness 
is placed upon you. But that's why it's so important for you, number two, to follow Christ and reflect God's image. Christian, if you're here this morning and you recognize that God has made you, he's your creator, and with creation comes a purpose. With creation comes authority. That's why I think our society wants to deny God's creation because they want to neglect God's authority. If God made you, he's your father. He's in charge and you're not. So how do you live according to God's blueprint? You live according to God's blueprint by following Jesus and looking like him. If you want to live in the image of God this morning, can I just give you some real practical advice? Start reading one of the gospels every morning. If the image of God seems really vague and abstract to you, read about his son. Uh, here's what I, I found. When I struggle with my Bible reading, I just go back to reading one of the gospels because they're never boring. You can always get something from the life of Jesus. You can always be convicted by his character. You can always be encouraged by his power. Think about this. Look back at verse number 26 in chapter one of Genesis. It says, and God said, let, and what's the next word? And God said, let us. Now for years, people are like, what on earth? Is, who is God talking to? Us. I thought he was one God. Like that's all of Jewish thought is like, no, one God. You say anything else, you're crazy. You're a bad person, one God. But then Genesis 1, God says, no, plural. Well, Genesis 1, 2 talks about the spirit of God. So maybe he's talking to the spirit of God. But you know what I find interesting? It's not that the Bible changes the story and says, no, you're not supposed to live in the image of God. Now you're supposed to live in the image of Jesus. In Genesis 1:26, Jesus was there saying, we're gonna make man in our image, in the image of Christ. From the outset of God's creation, it was always God's plan for you to look like Jesus, for you to follow him and reflect his character. He's been calling you to follow Christ since the day he made Adam. And to believe in Christ is the only way you can have the capacity to live for Christ, but it still requires for you, church family, to make the daily choice to set aside your old ways, to throw away your blueprints and live in the ways of Jesus. I wonder this morning if there are habits, actions, thoughts in your life that don't reflect a picture of Jesus. I wonder if there are sexual desires that don't reflect being in the image of Jesus. You could be heterosexual and you can still have sexual desires that don't reflect the image of Jesus. I wonder what greed, selfishness, pride, or hurtful words reflect your blueprint more than they reflect Christ's blueprint. Over and over and over in the epistles, Paul will tell his people 
Stop living in ways that don't look like Jesus. Colossians 3, 8 through 10 gives us a list of what we need to put out of our life if we're gonna live in the image of God. He says, and now ye also put off all of these anger. Got me. Wrath. Malice. Blasphemy. Filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not. You ever stretch the truth a little bit? Made your fish a little bit bigger in the story? Made that person a little bit more mean in the story? Why? Seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, listen to this, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. You know what's also interesting to me, church family? God is so passionate about you living in the image of Jesus, he explicitly says that every single thing in your life all has one purpose, to make you look more like Jesus. Everything, every bad thing and every good thing, God says he is so relentless about using every good thing and every bad thing to sand you down, to polish you down, to look more and more like Jesus. It's in Romans 8. It's all of our favorite verse, but we sometimes forget about what it means. Romans 8, verse 28 and 29, it says, and we know that all things work together for good. That's where most people stop, right? And then they define what good is. Good means I will prosper. Good means I will graduate with a 4.0. Good means I'll meet the woman of my dreams in the exact time I want to meet her. But Paul defines the good. All things are working together for this. For the call to our according for those who are called according to his purpose. And here's the purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That's you. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Every step of your life, God wants you to pause and say this and ask this. How does God want me to look like Jesus in this moment? How is God using this difficulty to make me more like Jesus in this moment? You know, some of us are so set on getting out of our difficulties that we never ask the question how God is wanting to use them. He works all things together for good. Even the stuff we want to get rid of. God wants you to ask what part of your life is not looking like a picture of Jesus and what parts are, and he wants to shape everything in your life to be a reflection of Jesus Christ. This morning, I want you and I to spend a moment reflecting and praying in response to these words in Genesis 1.